Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, where we bring you weekly conversations with purpose-driven leaders. Each week, I'll ask our guests the big questions on our minds, and we'll learn about their career, life journey, purpose, and social impact goals. Whether they are leaders of ethical business, philanthropy, social enterprise, startups, or not-for-profits, we will discover a unique and valuable perspective. able to be at something at that ground zero and 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 being a part of building it up um, has been an amazing experience and it um, we've now had three cohorts through of the master of entrepreneurship it's been three and a half years yep and the and the startup sprints and the kind of other programs that we're doing and to see now the way our alumni interact with each other and they mentor each other and to see the kind of internal engine working on its out on its own without me having to be you know trying to spin all the plates kind of myself has been is just amazing welcome back to the pod great to have you with us that was georgia mcdonald director at the wade institute reflecting on the rise of the wade institute and how they've gone from uh being relative minnows to really being the centre of entrepreneurship in the Melbourne district for uh, those with great and inspiring ideas. We've had a number of amazing uh, Wade Institute graduates on the pod previously. Mon Q from United Make, Laurie Youngson from Ida Sports and Mads Grummet from Girl World. So encourage you to check them out. They do talk about the Wade Institute in those episodes. I will say that the Wade Institute have been a, a wonderful sponsor throughout the year for the Humans of Purpose podcast and they offer a really unique and inspiring approach to innovation and entrepreneurship that I don't think you'll find at many other teaching institutions. I've uh, met people outside of uh, the podcast guests who are just, you know, um, wonderful and have a really unique way of thinking and they're all people who have been involved in the Masters of Entrepreneurship uh, program at Wade. Quick heads up that we have booked in our next live podcast date. That'll be the 21st of March in the CBD, probably at about 6pm. And that's going to be with Nat Kiriaku, who's the founder and CEO of My Green World. And that's one of my favorite people and previous podcast guests. And we'll be talking about tech, conservation, being a young entrepreneur, for Nat anyway, and many more topics. So do come along. I'm going to refine the format a little bit and probably just um, instead of doing dinner and drinks, we'll get uh, have a little drink before and then get straight into the action for about an hour and then have a little bit of um, a drink afterwards and chat about that session with Nat. We are just finalizing event bright details for that and we'll send something out next week on the social. So keep keep an eye out for that and uh, enjoy this week's pod. So uh, I'm thrilled to welcome Georgia to the podcast. Welcome. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm so pleased you could make it. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, I'm very lucky to have spent time this year and on the podcast with many of your wonderful graduates of the Wade Institute Masters of Entrepreneurship program. Yep. Uh, including, I should definitely shout them out one by one, Mon Q, Laura Youngson, Mads Grummet. Don't miss anyone else? Nope, I think that's everyone. That's the full compliment? That's the ones that have been on, yeah. And now I've got you, so I feel like it's a nice full set. We're the, we're the set, we're the cutlery <laughs> set. Um, so, terrific to have you on the show. I've been wanting to set this up for a while, so really glad we can make it happen. I would love to know a little bit about your background, because you've done some amazing things. Um, you've, you've worked a bit in ethics, philosophy. Yeah. Um, you studied philosophy at university. Correct. Yeah, and just take us through that journey as to how you got to where you are now at the Wade Institute. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, it's a bit of an unusual 
uh, kind of journey. It's not the typical sort of story. And I always feel really weird when I'm telling people about, uh, about my own story. So in, um, high school, I was pretty naughty, um, and rebellious and, um, and just scraped through. And I was working night shift at Australia Post all through year 12 to fund my, kind of devious lifestyle at the time. And, um, and through that experience, um, yeah, kind of ended up in a bad place when I was about 19 and, um, spent then the rest of my twenties kind of detoxing from all of that. So I never went to university after high school, um, and spent, uh, yeah, about a decade traveling and working, um, all around the world. Um, so I worked, I worked in Laos for seven months running a, a bar there. Um, I worked in the UK for a couple of years as, um, like, an assistant to a lord and lady, um, which was pretty fun, and as a nanny. Wow. Um, Is there a special website for that, like lordandladies.co.uk? No, just <laughs> just, kind of, just kind of got lucky um, yep. hanging out with these really kind of amazing, very well-educated aristocrats, and my job was basically uh, the lord had um, Alzheimer's disease and was, and was uh, quite blind, and we lived near Hyde Park, and so my job was to go out walking with him every day and he was, you know, incredibly well educated. And in many ways, I kind of think of that as my first university degree was, you know, I didn't think I was academic kind of at all. Mm. Um, and just wandering around the gardens every day and listening to him and, you know, what he was talking about and having these really great conversations was, yeah, kind of my first introduction, I suppose, into university education really in a the, sense. The school of life. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and, uh, yeah, and then I spent several years living in Buddhist meditation um, retreat centres um, around the world, in Argentina, in uh, Venezuela, a bit of time in Wales uh, and in uh, country New South Wales. And um, and when you were living there, were you um, teaching? Practicing, well? practicing, practicing yep. yep. So, you know, four or five hours a day meditating and four or five hours, like, caretaking and doing that sort of stuff. Um, so not a typical 20s kind of journey. And, uh, then when we, um, had our first son, when I was 29, that's when, um, we kind of settled down and thought, okay, time to stick around in Melbourne. And, um, yeah. And it was at that point that I thought, well, you know, I'm going to be a mother. I'd better get a university degree. And, um, and La Trobe University very kindly let me in and, uh, and I studied a Bachelor of Arts majoring in philosophy and ended up that I was really academic and I was a straight A yeah, student and you crushed it. Yeah. You, and you really then I, and honors. then, yeah, yep. Yeah. And then I, um, yeah. And then I did really well. That's amazing. So can I ask what led you to the, the Buddhist retreat life? Yeah. Um, uh, good question. I suppose I'd, um, I'd probably been looking for something and I'd traveled a lot. I'd traveled through, um, Tibet and had some pretty amazing experiences there. Um, you know, I suppose I'd had some struggles then when I'd come back and, and I was probably looking for something and I found those teachings and they really, um, kind of rung true to me. And I think, you know, that, um, sort of Tibetan Buddhism, I suppose, spoke to me because it's very practical. Um, it's not waffly or religious. It's mainly about the practice of daily life. Um, so although I spent a bit of time, you know, sitting on the meditation cushion, um, the main idea really is about, you know, being more present in what Mm. you're doing, um, and being a bit more accepting of, 
you know, emotions and thoughts and actions and, and all of that kind of stuff and letting it come and go a bit more. And I think that really appealed to me, that kind of practical, no-nonsense kind of stuff. And how much has that stayed with you, that practice of meditation and uh, mindfulness and sort of presence? Yeah. Um, I don't practice like day-to-day anymore. I actually find I feel really angry when I'm sitting on like the meditation <laughs> yeah. cushion. It's just kind of, I don't know, I think after kids it, it's kind of a, a bit harder. I sometimes think, I suppose, that kind of experience and that meditation practice, I kind of think of like, you know, those novelty um, like chocolate bars that are in like glass canisters that you can get in like $2 shops and it says break in case of emergency. (laughs) That's kind of my meditation practice. And I think when there's stuff going on, when there's a lot of emotional energy happening and things like that, then I know I've got something I can tap into. Um, But I think I'm much more you know, try to blend it into the kind of practice of daily life stuff and just, yeah, just being a bit more conscious about what I'm doing. And so um, has that brought you an ability sort of learning that at early stage in the 20s and spending so long at it, you must have been really good at actually meditating. Can you just go back to it and you still, you know, the skills are still there and you're able yeah, to go think, quite deep? I mean, meditating, you know, it's a skill, I suppose, in the sense that you get some muscle memory around it. I don't know that there's being good or bad at it. Everybody has, you know, the same experiences when you're, when you're practicing whatever form you're kind of doing. Um, you know, there are times when you feel like you're in a really pleasant state because you feel like maybe the thoughts have subsided somewhat and maybe your ego is kind of going, whoo-hoo, I've really got this, I'm a great meditator. And then, you know, a mozzie comes and sits on your cheek and you realise <laughs> you're not so economist kind of after all. Um, so I think, you know, yes, there's maybe some muscle memory there around some of that kind of stuff, but I think also, you know, humans have a lot of stuff going on in our heads and in our lives and and things like that. And I think everybody succumbs to that stuff. And it's just, um, you know, the metronome kind of thing of just bringing yourself back. Ah, I've got sidetracked again and coming back and coming back and coming back again. I don't know that you get better or worse at it. True. And I'll bring you back to that because I do want to um, touch on entrepreneurs' well-being a bit later in our conversation. Yeah, yeah. But I think you got to the stage where you, you hadn't had your second kid yet, but you've finished uni, you've done really well in uni. Um, and then what do you do next? Yeah. So, no, I had both kids. Both I did kids. I did uni over um, eight years um, and a couple of lots of mat leave. Um, and um, I had been working at Lonely Planet um, with their um, in their publishing and author services unit, so working with the authors that wrote the guidebooks there and through a connection had got a job at the Centre for Ethical Leadership. Um, and and what, what made you interested in that? So partly because I was studying philosophy yeah. um, and I'd really kind of worked out that that was the thing that I really loved. Um, philosophy, you know, even in my 20s when – you know, wasn't academic kind of at all. The books I read were always philosophy. Um, And uh, so I'd kind of worked out that's what I wanted to do. And yeah, this opportunity came up as it, as they do, like through networks. And, um, and yeah, so I got this job at Centre for Ethical Leadership, which was then located at Ormond College at University of Melbourne. And I was running one of their programs there called the Vincent Fairfax Fellowship, which teaches um, C-suite leaders um, ethics. And I think for me, that was a huge eye-opener because it was the first time that I saw that you know, the people running kind of top ASX listed companies, the people in the armed forces, people in police, um, 
leaders in these areas were not big bad guys like out there trying to screw everyone over. (laughs) They were grappling with really difficult, challenging circumstances and they were trying to do their best and sometimes they really mucked it up. Mm. But on the whole, I think I'd had a pretty naive view that big business was bad Mm. Um, and that really transformed by seeing the kind of journey that these leaders took over the course of a year studying ethics um, and and how much... um, uh, time and brain power and heartache they put into making decisions that were going to impact their customers, their staff, um, their their shareholders and their stakeholders. And, and I think that really turned the corner for me around how I thought about what business was and the potential of what business could do. That's amazing. And so, I mean, it's safe to say, and we could be for- uh, forgiven for thinking otherwise that perhaps big business is bad given everything we see in the media and I think uh, the recent uh, which it was the Edelman uh, trust barometer this year was sort of saying uh, trust in business is an all-time low yeah so obviously there's a lot to do there yeah and is it is it teaching the applied ethical frameworks more than sort of just broader ethics or what is yeah. it that you, you so that's teaching? what they mm. did yeah. um and I was only ever organizing you know stuff um uh, but, yeah, so it was kind of around understanding some of the key philosophical thinkers in ethics and some of the frameworks you might apply and in what circumstances you might apply them. I think also coming to an understanding yourself around people tend to have a tendency to go towards some ethical styles over others and there are, you know, different circumstances when you're going to want to employ, you know, a more utilitarian approach or a more, you know, um, uh, more social justice approach yeah. or kind of whatever whatever it might be. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, so I think um, that's kind of what they, they yeah, were focusing on on getting them to, to think through that stuff. Um, and do you, I mean, so you go from there and teaching that all these amazingly useful and relevant uh, frameworks to entrepreneurship and startup with Wade, which yeah. is only a few years old now. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you, maybe this is a good time actually to ask that, what do you think are the most relevant schools of philosophy for entrepreneurs and for the, for the startup space? Look, I'm not. I don't know that I'm qualified like to answer. Um, I think it's it's important to think. In some ways, it's a bit like entrepreneurship generally, right? You want to have a toolkit of stuff that you can use, um, and it's not like okay, well, lean startup and like that's the only way you can approach yeah. um, a startup, or you know, Aristotelian thoughts, the only way you can approach you know thinking about business or, you know, something like that, the more knowledge you have and the more of a practical way that you can apply some of that knowledge, then the better off you're going to be as a business person or, you know, as an ethical kind of business person. I think, I mean, there's there's businesses that have bad reputations uh, around ethics for good reason, but I also think we sometimes kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater mm-hmm. and we forget that it's because of these businesses that people have a livelihood and a job and that is a social good and that kind of, um, you know, dignity of work that businesses are able to provide people is really important and Mm. is a really good thing and uh, most businesses take that responsibility and that obligation, I think, really seriously. But it's hard, uh, you know. It's really, it's really hard, and um, and yeah, and I think sometimes we forget that. I think it's hard, particularly with the growing recognition that we're moving away from a shareholder value-driven model to a more stakeholder-driven value yeah. model. Yeah. 
So recognizing as key stakeholders, our customers, our employees, the environment, um, society at large, and how we interact with these stakeholders and probably does add layers of complexity to, complexity to how we form business decisions Yeah, um, and do so in a mindful way. Yeah, I think that's really true. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting to watch as companies move from startups into companies and that they will often coalesce around the same problems that big organisations have been having for 150 years. Um, and I'm not sure I've got the answers to that stuff, but, you know, it, it's not easy. Um, the Stoics are very popular right now in the startup and entrepreneurship space. Do you have a, a take on, on that school? Um, no, and I didn't know that that was even a thing. I think I tend to be a bit more um, head down uh, in in the, I don't know, the uh, yeah, I'm in the trenches. Uh, I think I, I'm not probably as aware of what's going on outside. Well, I think the, the thinking around that is um, teaching people not to understand failure in a more rounded way as a sort of temporary state rather than a final condition uh, would be one thing in just having mental strength and resolve to, to keep on pushing through challenges, seeing challenges as growth rather than um, as inevitable signs of uh, failure. Yeah. Look, and I think that's really good. You know, it's great that we talk about failure um, and and that we're more accepting of it. But I think also, like, you know, it hurts, you know, and it doesn't feel pleasant, like, being in that, um, in that state. And I sometimes think what's prepared me best for um, entrepreneurship is that I spent so many years as, um, you know, a bit of a screw up and a dickhead at school <laughs> and in my twenties that I feel like I was really very well used to not being good at stuff for a very long time. And in some ways that's helped. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, the stuff around failure, um, you know, good to acknowledge, but and, and good to, you know, work on how you can learn, you know, yeah. from those failures, like failures for its own sake is not good. Yeah. Losing people's money is not good. Yeah. Um, letting down your customers and your consumers are not yeah. good things. Yeah. Um, it's a fine balance because yeah, um, I think really you do see a bit of glorification yeah. of failure lately. Yeah. Like in the startup world with sort of fuck up nights and yeah. whatnot and all these kinds of things. And you've got to think, oh, it's great that we're talking about failure more. Yeah. But we don't want to be at the point where we're deliberately failing so we can be like, oh, look, it's a rite of passage. We, we should try and fail. You know, totally. That's never the goal. Totally. And I think in some, you know, sometimes that's what gave, you know, entrepreneurship, especially in Australia, such a bad name, yeah. like the Christopher Scases and the Alan Bonds. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, whenever you see stuff in the papers, you know, it's like an entrepreneur had this massive failing, um, but it was a business person that was successful. And it's always entrepreneurs are the ones that are losing all the money, doing stuff dodgy and then you know pissing off to Mallorca or whatever it is <laughs> and um you know and so I think we've kind of got to be careful with some of that stuff but like with all these things I think it's often a pendulum mm. sort of thing and you've got to push it right out this way just to get it back on the radar and then you kind of find a, a better middle ground so what's the experience been like then because it's very meta because what you're really doing with Wade is you're starting up a school for startups yeah so it can kind of it's a bit inception like having Wade <laughs> do we go what's that whole process like 
It's been really amazing um, and, you know, has just been the most amazing opportunity on like a personal and professional level. Um, so we started, um, you know, I started three and a half years ago as the first full-time employee in at the Wade Institute and it's been like a very steep learning curve. Um uh, when I started, you know, we had no students, no faculty, no building. Um, the academic board hadn't approved the, the Master of Entrepreneurship yet. Um, and so, yeah, there was a hell of a lot of learning to be done and really tested my entrepreneurial skill set. Um, uh, sorry, it's really hard to concentrate when your dog is right here. Um, <laughs> he's just saying hi. He, know, he's, he's very interested well, he's in the conversation. Yeah, he's great. He's, he, he likes the meta, the meta kind of stuff. <laughs> Cyril, um, uh, yeah, but so, um, you know, being able to be at something at that ground zero and, and, and being a part of building mm. it up, um, has been an amazing experience and it, um, we've now had three cohorts through of the Master of Entrepreneurship. It's been three and a half years. And you're filling up the Startup Sprints as well. Yep, and the and the Startup Sprints and the kind of other programs that we're doing. And to see now the way our alumni interact with each other and they mentor each other and to see the kind of internal engine working on its, mm. out, on its own without me having to be you know, trying to spin all the plates kind of myself has been, is just amazing. Um, well, it's such a cool community because you've got all these eclectic types and, you know, people doing different exciting work, Mond yeah. and his design and sort of futuristic setting, Mads with the with the ladies and the women driving yeah. the next generation of leaders. Yeah. I mean, um, Laura came from a physics background, yeah. is now making football boots for women. Um, and she's so do-it-yourself. I really enjoyed yeah. our chat because just even her her hands-on approach of trying to make the soles of the shoes in her kitchen. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, in that same kitchen, she made me this delightful gin substitute drink. Correct, yeah. Uh, that, that to me is just street savvy entrepreneurship. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. And, and, like, all these people are now going on, they're not just doing this program then kind of, you know, putzing around. They're going on and they're doing TEDx. They're like growing yep. their businesses. Yeah, they're scaling. They're yep. attracting investment, and they're real thought leaders in their own right now. Yeah, and I think that's um, part of the kind of special source at Wade Institute, and and certainly around um, University of Melbourne's Master of Entrepreneurship is that um, it attracts and we curate a really diverse group of people um, coming into the program. So there's a mix of people that come from STEM, from business and economics, and from um, the creative industries. And when you put all of those people together, and we now layer year upon year upon year. Um, it's magical. And like there have been moments this year where I see my alumni, you know, pitch coaching current students and, you know, you get goosebumps because this is how, you know, we imagined it would be and it is and, and so that's really fantastic. It becomes a community and how, I was going to ask how – is there a formal way by which you keep people who've graduated involved in the Wade sort of ecosystem or they just by choice are in there or? Um, so there's kind of formal stuff around alumni and things like that, but I think it's really about, you know, when people, you know, buy into what we're doing, um, they're in and they want to be a part of it and they want to give back and we find ways of, I suppose, being able to work with them around the things that, um, the ways that they want to give back and people have different ways of, mm. of how they want to do that. So we've got a kind of entrepreneurs in residence program, which are our alumni that can come and spend six months or a year, um, who are working on their, their startups and can work in the, 
um, in the space there where they can do that kind of informal mentoring and and hanging out um, hanging out with with our other with our other students. That's amazing. So you've got a way to sort of keep people involved. And I mean, from the outside, if I was going to say, what do I think are the things that makes the Masters of Entrepreneurship at Wade a unique and great program? It seems like it's a mix of practical and sort of, you know, applied learning and not just the kind of what you'd expect to see in a traditional MBA sort of course. Yeah, absolutely. Is that a good? Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, so it came about, you know, Wade Institute has a um, relationship with the University of Melbourne. And so it's a University of Melbourne master's degree, but, but delivered at the Wade Institute. And the reason around that is that when you can kind of sandbox out, um, those sort of entrepreneurial programs, it just means that we can be a bit more nimble around stuff. Um, so when, um, in our first year, we had Sarah and Elle from Mimic Tech who created, um, a physical hardware product that helps, um, uh, poultry farmers, um, increase the life expectancy of baby chickens. And when they wanted to prototype that in our building, then we were able to say yes and have, uh, I don't know, eight baby chickens and a couple of extra ducklings chucked in just because they wanted them um, in the building, you know, uh, during semester and they could prototype their their original, you know, robot chicken. And that kind of stuff's just a bit harder to do when when you're down part of, you know, the bigger, the bigger university. Um, but we do really focus on being able to combine the best in um, academic knowledge. You know, University of Melbourne is Australia's number one university. There's just such an amazing wealth of intellectual knowledge there. And maybe it's the philosophy major in me talking, but I'm a really huge believer in formal mm. education yep. and in what they can teach us. Um, and so we've got classes utilising um, UniMelb's best academics um, and then infused with, you know, our mentors um, and uh, an industry faculty who have been there and done that and built their own businesses. And I think that's just such a powerful mm kind of combination it um, seems to be that you know it's also the the place-based approach that so they've got the co-work area to be yeah, in yeah you know, around their peers yeah. all the time building the strong networks having the experts yeah it also rolls together yeah absolutely and maybe it's a bit old school but we don't do online learning we don't mm. do lecture capture um you've got to be in the room and be in the space um and that really works for this kind of program, um, you know, because it's, you know, 25 to 40 students um, spending a very intense year together. Mm. Um, and so you need that kind of place-based approach. And because we're at Ormond College, it means we get free meals. Um, and that goes a hell of a long way, oh, you yeah. know, that sharing of meals around a communal dining table with a whole bunch of other fantastic young people um, is, yeah, just something that that makes Wade Institute super special. There's been a bit of talk, and I did see an article that you're involved in at Startup Smart earlier in the year uh, in my research, um, just about what does the average entrepreneur look like? Right, or, okay. You know, you know, sort of, that. if you had to pick, you know, what, what do you think a young Australian entrepreneur looks like? You know, most people would probably think it's a 24-year-old young 
white guy or something who yeah. just wants to do a startup. Yeah. Um, but that's not actually the experience that you No, you not have. at all. Not at all. I'll have to try and remember what I, what I told them. <laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a problem. It was basically what you were saying, I think, was that um, really a lot of people in their, you know, first-time entrepreneurs are often in their early 40s. Yeah. Well, there is this really cool research that came out of, um, I think, from Silicon Valley that the average age of successful entrepreneurs is actually 44 mm. at the time they started their business. Yeah. So they were actually successful later in their 50s. But we think of um, Silicon Valley and we think of Mark Zuckerberg mm. or Jeff Bezos or whatever, and mm. um, and they're the outliers, uh, yeah. not not the not the not the norm. Um, I I don't know that there is a typical entrepreneur, and and that's great. Um, yeah. You know, I see so many different kinds of people, and if I think of the three entrepreneurs that have been on your your yeah. podcast, um, totally different. Very, very different backgrounds, very mm. different kinds of trajectories. I think, um, you know, often, you know, I'm inclined to say that people who are a bit older, you know, the average age in our cohort is 28 or 29. Yep. And people who have had kind of five, 10 years of work experience often have richer problems that they're able to look into being able to solve. Yeah. And so I'd love to say, oh, well, older, you know, um, makes for better quality kind of startup ideas. But even that's not true. You know, um, Sarah Last, who started, you know, the robot chicken was straight out of vet and ag science undergraduate degree at Melbourne Uni and mm. was 22 when she came through the program. Mm. And it's probably the single most successful piece of IP that, that's come out of Wade Institute. So um, there is no norm. And that's what's really fantastic about entrepreneurship. I think, you know, that in in so many ways that is the power of entrepreneurship there's this other um piece of research that shows that you know one of the big driving factors that people choose entrepreneurship is because they don't need to worry about what their CV says to get their foot in the door. Yep. It's that one area of kind of human endeavour where if I can make it happen, then that's all that needs that I need to do. It's a levelling of the playing field, so Absolutely. Yep. You know, and, and it's not about your qualification or what your CV says or what other people think to get that job promotion or whatever. It's your own steam and your own power. And I think, you know, entrepreneurs have somewhere in them this kernel that says, I know I can do better than what's out there and I know I can do better than what people might think I can do based on my CV. And that's why I think, you know, it attracts such diverse kinds of people. That's very, very well said. There, there must be some things that we can deduce from the study or the teaching of entrepreneurship over long periods or a few things that are really important for entrepreneurs to have as kind of um, – as um, learnings or ideas yeah. about business in the world. If you could distill just a couple of things that you think that the modern-day Australian entrepreneur needs to know or needs to know about as yeah. a sort of area. Yeah. I think um, number one is that you learn through entrepreneurship, not about it, um, that you need to be doing something and taking those next steps. Um, and um, great to read books and listen to podcasts and go to TED Talks and do all of that kind of stuff, but you need to find some idea um, and start taking the next steps to be able to learn, um, to be able to learn kind of entrepreneurship. I think... Um, you need to be really good at some of that meta stuff and looking at how you are learning and what you're learning and what you're going to do next, I think, based on that. Um, I think there are certainly some personal qualities that 
make it somewhat easier to to be a successful entrepreneur and you know some of that's around your how comfortable you are dealing with ambiguity and mm. with risk mm. um but there's no like killer well no nah, it's not going to work out for you i yeah. think you've got to have a really high level of self-awareness around who you are and what you're good at and what you're not good at um and i think that can be something that's really difficult for people to do. I think often, especially around gender, you know, you see um, maybe more blokes who uh, who spend a bit too much time thinking about what they're really great at and can't see what they're not good at. Yep. And women, on the other hand, spend too much time thinking about what they're not good at and not at all about what they are good at. And you yep. need to find that middle ground if you're going to be able to keep moving forward. I think that's a great point. And self-awareness is so important, understanding yeah. what your natural blind spots are yeah. and learning that they're there all the time and how to compensate for them. Yeah. And like that's that stuff's really hard, um, one, to face it when you see it. And I think that's why the cohort and your tribe of people are so important because they can mirror back to you, um, you know, some of those truths in in a in in a way that you've got like this trusting environment where you're happy to hear what it is that they're saying. Another thing that you mentioned in this um, interview from a while back was just around people skills, and I suppose it ties into like a, a pet love of mine at the moment is um, how to collaborate well. So we all know that collaboration is important. Yep. Um, it was the buzzword of probably the early 2000s there for a little while. But how to do it, it seems like a real challenge for most people to effectively do partnerships and collaboration. Uh, do you have any ideas around uh, that and what might be good ways to go about that? Yeah. Um, I think that's a really interesting um, topic and it, it's funny. I think, you know, um, I don't know, I did 10 or 12 um, interviews today for students for next year and we always talk to them about either group projects they've done or work in teams and how they've collaborated and what they do mm. and things like that and what would they do differently. Mm. Um, and um, so many times just today I've heard people talk about communication and yeah. how important it is. Yeah. Um, and we're not taught a whole lot about communication skills that we really should be, you know, around how do you give feedback, how do you, you know, um, talk about what it is you need and what are the what are the issues kind of facing you. I think around collaboration, um, I, th I think the other thing around kind of communication when you're thinking about collaborating with other people is is how well you listen, yeah. um, like really listen to what is it that that other person wants yep. and where can you find value in what they're wanting from what you're wanting. Yes. Um, and, and so I think um, that really radical kind of being open to hear what it is they're saying and not trying to impose on what they're saying something that you'd like them yes, to be which, saying. which is so easy to do and you sort of see it happen all the time. Yeah. These poor email exchanges that are just like, oh, how did I end up being roped into doing something that you want when yeah. you're meant to be helping me with something? I think absolutely. But I think also I know I do it heaps when I'm interviewing people for jobs because I want to like them and I want them to be really good at yeah. whatever it is. And so I'll hear things that I know are not congruent with you know, being successful in a role. And in my mind, I can hear the script saying, oh, yes, but I'll just teach them this or such and such will happen or maybe it won't really be like that. And and so I think we're often not good at really listening. Um, yeah. And I think that's really important. So active listening, but the other thing that you mentioned earlier that I really liked was trying to understand what the other person wants or needs yeah. as part of that um, 
that relationship. Yeah. And sometimes I suppose other people as well aren't good at being able to articulate mm. what they want or need. Yeah. And so you need to be willing to kind of go into those conversations and help draw draw it out. But then again, sometimes when you ask people um, what they want, they'll tell you something that's not what they want at all. Totally. So it's a bit of a paradox. Eh? Yeah, yeah. But this is the entrepreneurial <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. You know, it's not the customer's job to know what they want. And maybe yeah. that's the same when you're kind of collaborating with people. But... Do you ever hear the um, that famous uh, Ford quote from the 20s? He said, if you ask the people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Yeah, I think it's not true. I don't think he really said that. <laughs> um, so. But we, good I quote, mean, we, yeah, I know, good quote. We will <laughs> fling it around. Um, yeah, and I, you know, and and I think you know we're we're strange beasts. Yeah, it's the human condition. It, correct. Yeah. So fascinating uh, discussion, and I think we've, we've touched on a couple of key areas. I am keen to understand a little bit more about what inspires you because you've you've led an amazing life. I think some of your travel and um, your experiences uh, in Buddhist study and deep meditation. What do you do at the moment for your own growth and learning? Given that you're responsible, for, uh, you're you're the uh, the shepherd for such a big flock. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know that I'm a shepherd for them. I don't know how they'd feel about that uh, terminology. But, um, uh, look, I suppose I'm pretty old school, um, so I read books. Um, I am really passionate about education, and so I read mainly books around kind of educational philosophies, mm-hmm. um, although at the moment I'm reading Guns, Germs and Steel, um, which is really amazing. That Jared Diamond's yeah, book. Yeah, 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 which is really cool. Um, but in general I probably still stick with kind of, you know, nonfiction philosophy type kind of books and I try to read things that I'm not necessarily going to agree with um, to understand then what it is, what what are the philosophies that I do think work and why, as opposed to, you know, someone that's, else's that's kind of arguments. extremely academic to read the entire book of an opposing view that you don't agree with to get to Maybe the it is. I mean, I'm not really – I'm not say, an academic. No, like, no, but I'm just know. saying that approach is very I'm, – I'm impressed by the rigour of that because most people would say – I'll read news from a source I don't like, one article, but I'll right. look. It's impressive. I don't know, but it, it ends up being boring if you just read stuff that yeah. you agree with all yeah. the time. Like I could have Filter thought bubbles. that myself. Yeah, you know. There's people are trapped. There's so many people are trapped in them. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, really, I mean, that's boring. Mm. You know, you want to be challenged. Like you want to challenge your thinking and you want to understand why you think that stuff. I don't know, for me anyway. So you're a big reader. Um, do you listen to uh, podcasts? Do you have any news sites that you like or blogs? Um, look, what do I, I – I'm not huge on podcasts. I like um, Reed Hoffman's Masters of Scale. Yeah. And so I'll listen to that every now and again. Um, you know, I read like, I feel very old. I read like the AFR and the Oz, you know, on my iPad yeah. in the morning. Yeah. Um, other than that, I, I don't really. And I, I think, um, for me, I suppose I've, I've tried to lessen the size of the pool of information sources and, and try to narrow it down to more things that I know I am specifically and ongoingly kind of interested in because I felt, I suppose, otherwise that hours of the day were going down, you know, various rabbit holes that, um, 
you know, I mean, nothing's ever a waste of time. You know, you always kind of utilise stuff, but I, I kind of felt like it probably need to be condensed a bit more. And I suppose that's why, you know, I stick more with kind of books and then reading the paper to, to know what's going on. Um, yeah. That's good. And do you have any um, tips around what productivity hacks that you use yourself that you might want to share with any budding entrepreneurs out there? I, I think the best thing I've done this year was that I removed from my phone email, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and so I can look at those things on an iPad or on my desktop, but I find that I just don't as much. And that's been amazing um, because it means that when I sit down to do emails or whatever, I'm actually sitting down to do them. And I don't know if you've got, I mean, I was just such in the trap that I just look, check my emails all the time on my phone, like I, waiting. I'm terrible because I actually like it. I get that um, neural stimulation. Right. Like when I see I get an email, I get excited. I yeah, like right. Email. I, but I never answer them. Like I check them on my phone. Yeah. I would never answer an email yeah, yeah, on my yeah. phone. So then I'm just thinking about an yeah, email right. I'm not even doing anything yeah. with. Um, so that's been, that's been really good. You know, funnily enough, you know, kids are a really good productivity tool because they really <laughs> cram. The I've heard that. <laughs> your, your, your productive time is very much sandboxed yep. by when you're with the kids. And I feel like, you know, as a mum now, you know, I basically do three things. You know, I, I work, I look after the kids and the family and friends kind of broadly, and then I've got a little side thing I'm working on. And they're the only actual things that I do in my life. And so mm-hmm. I suppose it kind of simplifies things down and you're productive just on the stuff that you care about and well, that you like want to do the, stuff. I like the focus and the air, the clumps. I mean, it sounds like that. There's areas. probably some waffling around, you know, and I mean, you know, and all the other stuff you do just to relax and have downtime. At the moment, I'm really very passionate about those reality TV shows about ambulance call centers and things like that. I'm just finding them <laughs> very yeah, cathartic. Yeah, 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 it's nice. really fascinating. Nice. So, yeah, loving those. Yeah, I love those shows. I, I'm into TLC shows at the moment. It's horrific. What are TLC shows? Uh, really trashy American uh, lifestyle channel shows that nice. I download. Yeah, Extreme Cheapskates, if you haven't watched oh, that, it's this, incredible. This is sounding up my alley. Yeah, okay. we'll have to chat more about it afterwards, but very humiliating examples of couples <laughs> who go to all kinds of socially embarrassing lengths to save a few pennies right okay yeah, yeah. i was big into like married at first sight and yeah. stuff yeah, like that. that stuff a bit of awkward reality tv i find that yep. stuff really can reset my brain so i try and make a bit of time for it i just think it's fascinating i mm. get so addicted to their lives and yeah, what yeah, they're yeah. doing yeah, yeah. yeah it's amazing stuff yeah, it's good um, okay, well, this has been an amazing chat. Um, where can people find out more about your, your work and the, the great things you're doing? So Wade Institute um, website, um, I suppose, is the is the big one. We've got everybody always um, mentions our social media stuff from Wade Institute and our team just do an amazing job. So, um, yeah, you know, all the usual kind of social media channels. Um, yeah, we're really excited about kind of plans for 2019 and, and what's happening. So, yeah, lots of good things happening there. And are there startup sprints? that you want to plug or things happening? Yeah, so there's kind of lots happening at at Wade Institute um, next year. You know, we started um, three years ago with this flagship Master of Entrepreneurship um, from Melbourne Uni. Um, Next year, you know, we're adding to that. We've got um, a program in investor education that's funded by LaunchFic. Um, We'll be running a couple of startup sprints, which are a kind of try before you buy for the Master of Entrepreneurship. So you can come along and have a weekend um, building a startup with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're also launching 
launching a new program in teacher education. So teachers from um, prep to year 12 who want to understand um, a bit more about some of the kind of entrepreneurial skills and how they might embed that in their curriculums. Um, We're going to do a really fun, practical, very um, hands-on teacher professional development program um, next year, which I'm really looking forward to. Amazing. Yeah. So I will get asked this and you Welcome to share if you want. Can people reach out to you on social media? Do yeah, you totally. Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, yeah, probably LinkedIn. I mean, my email address is is up on uh, Wade Institute and awesome. always happy to have a awesome. chat with people. And people can apply, our listeners can apply if they're interested in doing any of these programs via the Wade website. Yep, absolutely. Terrific. Yep. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks a lot for having me. Pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. You can check out some of our previous episodes at humansofpurpose.com.au. We'd also love you to leave us a review in iTunes. It helps others find out about the show. If you're interested in sharing your products or services with our community, email us at hello at purposeful.com.au.